Let's stand together for the reading of his word. 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. You may be seated. Let me take you back to the winter of 1995. I was in my sophomore year at Ithaca College studying vocal performance and music education. I was invited by a few guys that I had met through Campus Crusade for Christ to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert in Buffalo, New York. Now, this was all the way back in the Heaven and the Real World tour, if anybody remembers that. And the Newsboys, a brand new performing group, was the opening act. On that night back in 1995, I first heard Stephen sing For the Sake of the Call. This is the verse. Nobody stood and applauded them. So they knew from the start this road would not lead to fame. All they really knew for sure was Jesus had called to them. He said, come, follow me, and they came. Empty nets lying there at the water's edge told a story that few could believe. And none could explain how some crazy fishermen agreed to go where Jesus went with no thought to what they would gain. For Jesus had called them by name, and they answered, 
we will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but the sake of the call. Wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. Every Christian, every person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has heard those words. Come, follow me. I often think about when Jesus called the disciples. You know, he really didn't give many details regarding what his plans were for them. Can you imagine if they heard, okay, guys, I'd like you to follow me, but uh, people are going to hate you. The world is going to reject you, and most of you will die horrible deaths. Who's with me? Well, I consider it a privilege to stand before you today, and I am thankful for the opportunity that God has given me to share my story with you. So I'm the youngest of six kids. I have one sister and four brothers. My sister Pam is the oldest. She's 16 years older than me. And if you were to talk to any of my siblings, they may tell you that my parents spoiled me. But I don't necessarily see it that way. Uh, But I did learn very quickly that you got a whole lot more with honey than you did with vinegar. I think I had my mom convinced that I was pretty close to perfect. But looking back, I think she was the only one that was convinced. No love like a mother's love. I was born in Rockford, Illinois, and we moved a lot due to the instability of my father's work. We settled in Orange, Connecticut in the start of my second grade year. Orange is a suburb of New Haven, Connecticut, and at the very end of the New York City commuter line. Two events that year had a significant impact on my childhood. First, the school gave me a test that tracked me into the academically talented program. This label opened the door to many interesting and enriching activities, but it also inadvertently taught me that I was special and that I was different. I began to feel the pressure at a very young age to do something very important with my life. The other event launched my career into the performing arts. I played Robin Hood in Turkey Hill School's second grade production of Matchmaker. My music teacher, Mrs. Hale, had an incredible ability to take music from all different sources and create original plays for each grade to present every year. I loved being a part of these plays, and she was my favorite teacher. I still remember how I felt on stage, everybody's eyes on me as I belted out stout-hearted men in my boy soprano voice. I loved the attention, loved the applause, everyone's eyes on me. Well, I struggled with insecurity regarding my complete lack of any type of athletic ability, which continues to this day, uh, and my weight, I discovered that singing and performing was something that I could do well. Now, if that wasn't a recipe for an unusually healthy ego, here's one more piece of the puzzle. I was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. William Miller, an American Baptist preacher from New York, as a result of misinterpreting the prophecies in Daniel 7 and Revelation 14, became convinced that he had discovered the precise day and time that Jesus was going to return. The Millerites, as they were called, numbered in the thousands. People sold their homes and all of their worldly possessions, and they gathered on what became known as Ascension Rock to await the coming of our Lord on October 22nd, 1844. Now, I guess I don't have to tell you what happened. He didn't come back. This event became known in the faith as the Great Disappointment. Most of Miller's followers left the Christian faith altogether. But a small number of them became convinced that William Miller was onto something. 
they became convinced that the date was right. It was the event that was wrong. So instead of the second coming of Christ, they again misinterpreted this prophecy. They believed that on this date in 1844, Christ left the holy place in heaven and entered into the most holy place to begin the investigative judgment, a process in which every person that ever lived would be judged according to their works. This false teaching became the foundation of what is now known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. With over 21 million members worldwide, most, most people know about them that they worship on Saturday and that they don't eat pork or shellfish. The most famous Adventist today is Dr. Ben Carson. But what is not talked about and is important to understand the environment in which I was raised is that Adventists believe they are right and everybody else in the world, in the Christian world, is wrong. Their prophetess, Ellen White, claimed to have visions from God. They believe that they are the remnant church referred to in the book of Revelation. Revelation 12, 17 states, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So in my upbringing, in the church that I was raised, I was taught that this verse described the church that I was a part of, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That because we went to church on Saturday, that we were the only ones who were keeping the entirety of God's commands, specifically the Ten Commandments. And Ellen White's writings became known as the testimonies, which they claim are God's final message to the church. So because I was identified as academically talented, because I was recognized and celebrated for my musical abilities, and because I believed I was part of God's remnant church, can you imagine how special I grew up thinking I was? A few months after the Stephen Curtis Chapman concert in 1995, my life took a little bit of a turn. I spent the summer in the vocal company of the College Light Opera Company, in Falmouth, Massachusetts. That summer, I had the chance to perform full musicals, nine full musicals and operettas over the course of 11 weeks. So we rehearsed all day. We performed all night. We lived in an old converted inn all summer with a bunch of college students in Cape Cod right down the road from the beach. Can you imagine? Well, I put my faith on hold that summer. I didn't go to church all summer and lived a life without God. I even ate pork for the first time. I know, I know. <laughs> By the end of the summer, but I'll be honest with you, I was the loneliest I'd ever been in my entire life. I saw the fork in the road and knew that this was not the lifestyle that I was created for. I knew then that I wanted to use my talents for the Lord. In Romans 5, 1 through 5, we read, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, been given to us. Twenty-five years have passed since my summer in Cape Cod. 
I'm happy to tell you that I'm not the same person I was back then. You know, they say hindsight is 2020. And as I reflect on the journey, I can see now how God has been preparing me all this time to be the pastor of worship arts at North Olmstead Evangelical Friends Church. To be ready for this opportunity, God brought me through a point of surrender. He led me to a place of brokenness, and he taught me how to be humble. After graduating college, I accepted a job teaching middle school music and drama in Boca Raton, Florida. In addition to teaching, I had a traveling music ministry, singing concerts and churches throughout the eastern half of the United States. Even though I believe God was using me to encourage others during this time, I felt stuck. Truth be told, I was not living a life of integrity. The person I acted like in front of others was not who I was before God. I also desperately wanted to get married and have a family, but I was not mature in my faith. I certainly didn't love people the way we are called to as believers. And I still remember the moment I fell to my knees in surrender, finally trusting this piece of the puzzle to the Lord. I was done trying to make it happen. I would trust that God had someone for me, and I would be patient as I waited for her. Two weeks later, at a church young adult retreat, I met my wife, Melissa. Through my wife, I've come to a greater understanding of God's love for me. And Melissa has taught me how to love others. Because I surrendered to God's plan, I have been able to benefit from the blessing of being married to my best friend and soulmate. We married in 2004 and moved to the Orlando area. At this time, I was presenting about 20 to 30 concerts a year, and I thought that a career in real estate would give me the flexibility and the income I needed to continue to pursue the music ministry. I did really well at first, and to be honest, I made more money than I've ever made in my life. I worked hard and was overconfident in my ability. Honestly, I was just in the right place at the right time. In that market, 2005, anyone could put a sign in the yard and collect offers. But I rode the wave, and I spent a lot of money, and I wasted a lot of time and got distracted. God knew what I needed next. I needed to be broken. In 2007, the real estate market crashed. I didn't have the skill set to change with it. In fact, the house that we bought lost 75% of its value. I lost my ability to provide for my family. I made poor decisions regarding how I spent my time and who to work with. We were flat broke and deep in debt. I remember sitting in a parking lot outside Firehouse Subs in Kissimmee, Florida, completely frustrated. But as I sat there broken, God began a new work in me. And his peace, the peace that passes all understanding, filled me that day. And it has never left since. At about the same time, through a series of events, Miss Melissa and I came to believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church presented a false gospel. God called us out of the only church we had ever known. Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. As I read through Hebrews, Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians, 
all the way through for the first time, because being brought up, I, I learned a lot about hunting and pecking, one verse out of context here and there. I'd never read them through all the way. I began to discover the truth of the gospel. It wasn't something that I had to earn or could possibly earn. It wasn't my actions that would do the work of salvation. It was his. It was impossible for me to earn God's love. The gift of God, eternal life, was only possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Growing up, I was taught that I would be judged by my actions, that someday I would have to stand before God without a mediator. Now I understood that when I said yes to Jesus, his blood paid the price for any sin I had ever or would ever commit. But I had to die to myself. I had to be broken. And let me tell you, it hurt. I still remember the day my wife and I walked hand in hand into our bankruptcy hearing. It took us another 10 years to pay off all that debt. The consequences of my sin did not disappear immediately. But they have been a necessary and powerful lesson in my life. God brought people into our life to help us through. Brought us to a new church, God's House Orlando. Pastor Sammy Pavlock stepped into my hurts and helped me face some ugly truths about myself. But he loved me through it. And one day he was preaching on the Holy Spirit and invited people to be prayed over. In a moment, I felt God's presence flow through me. And I saw things completely differently. I had heard a lot about God, but I had never experienced his power and presence in this way. In that moment, I also received the gift of the assurance of my salvation. It was not something that I was hoping for, but it was a gift that I had already received. I finally understood 1 John 5.13. As John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I left real estate. We left the Seventh-day Adventist church. And this is something not on my resume. I took the only job I could find. I worked as a character at Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. I got to play the village monster. Not my finest look. Working until 2 a.m. every night for minimum wage for six weeks. But a few weeks into that role, all of a sudden, I had two great job offers. I accepted a part-time position as a worship leader at Winter Park Church, and I was invited to be a part of the opening team at the American Idol Experience at Disney's Hollywood Studios. What a preparation for ministry. I had the chance to do the first round auditions as a casting director, listen to people sing, determine if they would be a good fit for the attraction that day, and, uh, but many, many times on that journey, I got to step in, connect with people, and minister to them, even in the middle of the Walt Disney World Resort. Well, after a few years, in 2012, I felt the call to full-time worship ministry. By this time, we had two kids, Sadie just turned five, and Matthew was six months old. We didn't feel like Orlando was the right place to raise our family. We hoped for a simpler life. Must have been those Midwest roots come calling. So with reckless abandon, we were willing to go wherever God called us. I was invited to serve as worship pastor at a church in northeastern Connecticut. 
After three years, we felt the tug to be closer to Melissa's family. And so we took an opportunity to serve at a church in Monroe, Michigan. Within a short time, we realized it was not the right fit, and we decided to leave the position. And then one day, my wife says to me, we need to open a Chick-fil-A. Chicken, do you understand who you're talking to here? I'm not sure. You can't be serious. Uh, But here's the thing. I read Truett Cathy's book. I connected with the vision of the company. I was really done with churches for a while and church ministry and decided that this was a good opportunity. I found an operator in Toledo that agreed to hire me, and I left the worship ministry behind me. I loved the principles that Truett Cathy stood for and loved working with young people. I threw all my time and energy into this new assignment and focused on doing everything I could to realize the dream of opening our own restaurant had the opportunity to serve as uh, the director of talent, got a chance to work with hiring and training, uh, and I just loved uh, being the church and serving everyone that came through those doors at Chick-fil-A. Well, in August of 2017, just a short time before we were planning to open a second restaurant in Toledo with the operator that I was working for, my mom posted on Facebook that she was checking into the hospital. Now, my mom, a lifelong nurse, never went to the hospital. And so this was pretty surprising. Uh, Within a week, she passed away. I didn't even know she was sick before this. Cancer had ravaged her body. And in a way, in that week, I lost both my parents that day, even though my dad is still alive. In 2000, walking out of a restaurant in Ocala, Florida, my dad was attacked. He was hit in the head multiple times with the blunt end of a gun for $10. The blunt force of the weapon resulted in a traumatic brain injury that over the last 20 years has seen a very, very slow, steady decline through the stages of dementia, very, very similar to Alzheimer's. Today, he is in a nursing home, not aware of his surroundings. My siblings and I have always expected that my dad would pass away first, so we were pretty stunned when it was mom. As a result of this prolonged grief, I pushed harder and harder at my job. I was emotionally charged and overzealous. And in April of 2018, I was fired. It was time to learn the third lesson, humility. We moved in with my in-laws, and my wife and I started working at the Chick-fil-A in Willoughby. My first day there, I approached a group of people in the dining room. I said to them, now you look like a group of pastors. And Pastor Christopher's eyes widened, and he said, I am. Oh, well, I I said, I'm a worship leader and kind of looking for another opportunity. This chance meeting led to jobs for both my wife and I at Willoughby United Methodist Church. I served as worship director, and my wife continues to serve as children's ministry director with the hopes of transitioning by the end of the year. Last year, we were able to buy a house of our own, and our kids are growing and thriving in their faith at Cornerstone Christian Academy. A year into our ministry at Willoughby, in an attempt to get into a better financial position, I took on another role at Chick-fil-A. I felt like I had unfinished business there and went to work for an operator and mentor. The leadership and development director at the store, Doug, 
spent many hours helping me process and understand the last few years. He has become a close friend and mentor. Just as I was settling into my new job at Chick-fil-A, guess what happened? The world changed. As a result of this pandemic, business dramatically increased, and the job became much more physically demanding. My role as worship leader shifted into online video production, and I found myself working a lot of hours. Anybody relate to that through this time? The pace was very difficult, and it was having an impact on our home life. Our prayer for this summer was balance. I couldn't imagine being able to balance everything when the school year started, because I also teach a couple classes at Cornerstone Christian Academy, uh, which gives us the opportunity to send our kids there. So it was, it was heading for a big storm. Well, back to 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So Melissa and I prayed this summer for balance. I knew that it was a prayer that God would honor. And I believe this summer God spoke these words into my heart. Prepare for change. I wasn't sure what it was going to look like, but I knew something was stirring. Because of my past experience, most days I walked into my Chick-fil-A job with fear. Fear that I was going to be fired. This is the first time I was ever fired in my life. I can't give you any rational reason why that was the case, but it was my reality as I faced my fear. Suddenly, just a few weeks ago, that fear disappeared. Now, it is rare at Chick-fil-A, as you know, to encounter a difficult guest, because everybody's so nice, right? Most guests at Chick-fil-A in that environment present themselves to be genuinely polite and happy. But one guest in particular a few months ago was not. The only, game he, the only name that he gave us was Charlie Brown. He was always mean-spirited. And people at the work really resented him. On this particular day, he was mean to the order taker. He was mean to the person that was taking his payment. And he was mean to the team member that gave him his order. On top of that, he claims that his fries were cold. As one of our leaders described this situation to me, I felt impressed that I should go talk to him. Got the fresh order of fries, and I brought it out to him. You know, I'm not entirely sure what I said to this man when I brought out his order. But I do know that as soon as I talked to him, his entire countenance changed. He shared with me how his son was stuck overseas because of COVID and how his daughter was going through a difficult divorce and he had mortgaged his house to pay for that. So here was a broken man who was at his wit's end. And with tears in his eyes, he apologized for how he treated the team members. Then he looked me in the eyes and he said, You are a humble man. We prayed for each other, and I let him know that he was always welcome. Church, it was as if God was looking me in the eye and speaking directly to me. And I finally understood why God brought me to Chick-fil-A in the first place. It was there that I needed to face my past and heal, and he needed to teach me humility. I'm able to stand before you today by the grace of God, and I am thankful for the journey, although I would not want to go through it again. I have surrendered my will 
to Jesus Christ. I have been broken before the Lord, and I have been humbled. The last few years I know now have been a season of healing and restoration. And now the journey continues. Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In March, I had the chance to see Stephen Curtis Chapman again here in Cleveland at Playhouse Square. Just him and his guitar sharing songs and stories from his career. It was then that I realized how much his songs have meant to me over the years and how they have been the soundtrack of my journey with Christ. Let me close with the words from the chorus of The Great Adventure. Saddle up your horses. We've got a trail to blaze. Through the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace, let's follow our leader into the glorious unknown. This is the life like no other. This is the great adventure. So after meeting Pastor Jeff in July, it soon became clear to Melissa and I that North Olmstead Evangelical Friends Church would become the next stop in our great adventure. I am thankful for the warm welcome we received from everyone. I know that in the days ahead, God will use every experience we have had for his glory. I pray that our time together will be one of encouragement to you and that your love and devotion for the Lord will increase. With reckless abandon, let us abandon it all for the sake of the call. Sir, I want us to uh, to pray for our new pastor, and I want to to invite all those who maybe feel comfortable doing so. And I know in this season we we need to practice our social distance. But you know the the church is uh, has this habit of laying hands on people. And while we may not quite do that, I would like anyone who would like to come to come onto the platform and maybe up front here, just as a sign that that we are in Jason's corner and we're praying for him. And if you're a member of our church or a, a part of the worship team, an elder, or just feel a, a, a call this morning to uh, to support. And I know that not everyone will be able to come, but I, I, I think it's uh, uh, just a sign that we love this man, even as we get to know him and appreciate and we'll be uh, praying for him in these days that are ahead. He and Melissa and and, and Sadie and, and Matthew, we, we are just so grateful to have them join our family. Let's, uh, let's bow before our Heavenly Father, shall we? Father, we are so grateful for this great adventure that has been shared today. And that, Lord, how we have witnessed a living testimony to your grace, to your faithfulness, to the, to the opportunity we see right before our eyes, Lord, of you forming and fashioning a man in the image of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for Jason's humility. We thank you, Lord, for his giftedness. We thank you, Lord, that you have called him to be a part of our family. And we know that, Lord, uh, we are not a perfect church. We, are, we will have many challenges before him. But, Lord, we also believe that you have called him for this season to lead us in worship 
What a privilege that we have to come together before the throne of God. Lord, as, as Jason has reminded us, you often take us to brokenness. Lord, may we respond in humility before the throne of grace. And may we surrender our lives to you wholly, completely, that you might have our all in all. So that, Lord, you might shine through us. Thank you for shining your grace through Jason this morning and in these last two weeks as he shared. We pray, Lord, for a fresh anointing upon him of your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, you will give him wisdom. That you will increase his capacity to minister, to, to lead us, Lord. And to, uh, Lord, help us in that journey of making this church beautiful in your eyes. We pray, Lord, for, for, for him that he would be able to maintain that balance. That, that Lord, I think you do call us to as, as pastors and ministers and husbands and fathers. I pray, Lord, for his family, for, for, for Melissa, Lord, as she navigates this season of, of, of duality where she's ministering in one church and, and, and is wanting to support and be a part of, of another church, Lord. I just, I just uh, pray, Lord, that you would just strengthen and guide her. Lord, for, for these precious young ones that, that are a part of their home, Lord, for Sadie and Matthew, Lord, we lift them up to you. Thankful, Lord, that we have an opportunity to get to know them. And may this be a place where they grow in their understanding of who you are. Father, we pray for those who have heard this testimony this morning. Someone here today who who maybe is struggling with all that life has brought into them and, Lord, the, the struggle that, that they are experiencing right now. Lord, might they sense that there is hope, there is relief, there is a good God who reaches out even now and says, I'm not finished with you yet. And may they know, Lord, the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for what you've done through Jason's ministry thus far. We look forward to what you're going to do and use him in the days ahead. We thank you and praise you because you have, have once again answered our prayers. And we give you the glory and praise forevermore. Amen and amen. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, brother.